Um, now that my Haiti conference is over, I'm going to start getting everything back in gear in terms of all the lectures being uploaded to iTunes. But you're only expected, A, to know the main points, things that I write on the board, things that I emphasize, not little details. Second, um, I do not believe I do you a favor if I give you a study sheet for the test because you're grown-ups and you need to develop note-taking skills. So I, in order to pay attention to what's most important, you need to decide what's most important. I'll give you lots of hints and clues. I'll even tell you this is the kind of thing you'd be tested on from time to time. But remember, you should be thinking about what you're hearing. So it should be fairly clear to you what's really important. If we engage in debates, um, the details, the arguments, are not as important as the main points that people are arguing for. And then you want to critically anal analyze, right? So in, in the midterm, if you get a question, it's always going to be to answer the best answer. The best answer, not any answer that might be partly right. So you should also, like, you might get a question like, the following argument, and it may be pro or con, doesn't matter. Um, you know, which, is the, which evidence is the best in support for that point of view? So when you're listening and we're debating, you know, should we attack websites of terrorists or not? Are terrorists likely to use cyber attacks or not, right? There are arguments pro and con. You are tr being trained to think about both sides of the argument. When you write your paper, it, unless you do a video for this class, most of you will write a paper, I imagine. But if you're writing your paper, don't set up straw men. This could be on the midterm. What's a straw man? It's, it's an expression. Anyone? A straw man is a, uh, a sort of political opponent or antagonist that you set up intentionally to, uh, to tear down. And so you'll misrepresent your opponent. So yeah, you typically, you, you distort the position or you understate it. In scholarship, and arg hopefully in life too, we just don't get in arguments for the sake of winning debating points. We're actually engaging in deliberation, dialogue, discussion. So when your opponent or your rival or whatever it is, the person you're talking with who you're not getting along with, let's say, you know, the way to get along actually is not to win the debate. Because if you win the debate, you've lost the friendship. So the way to advance knowledge is to concede every point that you agree with on the other side and not to distort their position. Present the position as they say they are, or even you know, as they would like to say. And then search for the truth by saying what's right or wrong about what they're arguing. Okay, so that's what we're trying to get across here is that in a lot of these chapters, every one of these chapters of this book, now we're in the fourth chapter, there's a couple of debates, like the two I just mentioned that come from the chapter. In presenting the debate, don't set up a straw man that is, um, they say, for example, we should attack websites because every one of these websites will lead to a terrorist attack. And you say, well, that's absurd. What a ridiculous exaggeration. Well, in fact, that's not what they argued. They, they argued that, in fact, even, even the proponents of aggressively attacking websites with cyber attacks by like flooding them with um, clicks or whatever you call when people click onto a website, 10, 10 million people at once. And, apparently can make the, the site crash. Um, even the proponents of that kind of strategy don't say that you know, most people get their ideas from the website or you know, are inspired that way. What they do say is that it's part of a, a larger picture. 
And more important, in fact, typically is the personal element. Someone you see in person, talk to, cultivates you, mentors you. Uh, and then the websites are part of the, the, the development. And not every terrorist group you know, has the same approach. Some deal with propaganda, some do shock value, showing you beheadings and the like. The FARC from Colombia has no violent acts on their website at all, and they've been around for, since 1960. That's half a century. Half a century. Um, most of that time, there wasn't any internet. And to this day, they don't have that kind of shock value. Sometimes it's how-to. There are often a lot of links. There are bulletin boards, discussion boards, blogs, propaganda, education. They're, they're, they're all across the map. So uh, main point number one for today is you know, understand the arguments, the best arguments on both sides, not, not the weakest arguments. Uh, they may say some weak arguments, but we're in this to try to get on into the, the truth or, you know, if not the truth, capital T, but you know, improve our understanding of political phenomena and global issues. So our topic today is, you know, is this World Wide Web responsible, first of all, for the explosion of terrorism? Or has there been an explosion of terrorism? You know, it, we've had a general increase in terrorism, and the big transformation that we heard in that guest lecture was the shift from secular to religious terrorism, but that began before the internet was invented, or at least invented for the mass world. With the 1979 Iranian Revolution, that seemed to spark a lot of much more extreme ideology, much more fantastic d damage caused by explosions, and much more millenarian, comprehensive transformations sought in the way states and societies react to each other. But the explosion, as it were, expansion of religious terrorism in the world uh, has also arguably been abetted by the internet, increased by internet access and use. In any event, a lot of uh, jihadi websites are out there, some of them emphasizing terrorism. And you also have in the chapter some discussion of US government, UK funded government, and the Saudi government funding moderate websites to try to encourage you know, religious and devout discussion, but without extremism and without terrorist acts. So, um, and we have also think tanks, government and non-government and academic, including the University of Arizona, that Chinese fellow, looked like a Chinese fellow in his name, um, processing, downloading entire websites and categorizing the, all the content on the websites into the different activities, trying to figure out the level of threat implied and so forth. So we've got you know, the two kinds of websites, attacks against the websites, attacks glamorized by the websites, and then analysis of the phenomenon to try to come up with, you know, is there any there there? I mean, is there anything really to be worried about? Now, one thing about the internet that the chapter tells us, of course, is that it's largely unregulated, quite different from the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission's regulation of television or radio. You'd lose your license, at least used to be that you'd lose your license pretty darn fast if you didn't present fair presentation of the news, and the news was required on the hour every hour, or at least once an hour, I guess it was. And then they, finally they said there's enough news out there so that not every radio station presents any news at all. Um, and of course, if you used a four-letter word or the equivalent, you would lose your broadcasting license. And when I was a kid, TV was criticized for being mom and apple pie, you know, too bland, too 
two, Ozzie and Harriet and the Nelsons, Rick Nelson, I guess one of the members of that family died two weeks ago or so, back from my youth. Um, that's what I grew up on, and now my kids grow up on stuff like they've seen it all. And that's, I'm not talking about wild TV stations, I'm talking about the networks. You know, can't, so whatever regulation they're doing these days, it doesn't seem to be very much as far as not protecting kids from these kinds of things. And you can't protect, cannot protect your kids from the internet, right? Uh, you can put these filters on, but the filters are not perfect. They're presumably driven by, I don't know what, uh, algorithms that say if he has the word Egypt on it, instead of seeing the current protests in Cairo, what you see are the pyramids. You know, the computer says Egypt, pyramids. And that's, so, you know, it goes to a website and it has, if it has football war on it and it's about some big soccer match, it may block it out because it says it's about war and that's violent. And if you pick violent as your parental screen, I suppose that won't go through. But, you know, most of these jihadi websites are written in Arabic. Unless you use Google Chrome, you don't get the translation. So are all these filters going to be written for Arabic or French? You know, sophisticated kids can use Google Chrome, click the translate button, and bypass the filter because the filter doesn't read Arabic. Unless it blocks it after you do the translation button. But once you got it on there, you got it on there, I suppose. In any event, um, a lot of interesting issues. Another interesting issue raised by this chapter is the distinction between criminal justice and war approaches to terrorism and the legal frameworks that are involved in combating terrorism in this manner. For example, if we say we're going to use a criminal justice method, well, let me ask you, what is a criminal justice approach? Anyone? Presumed innocence is an example of, it's not a definition, but it's one of the things that criminal justice approach does. Uh, you have a right to an attorney. Since the Miranda decision, you have a right to an attorney in a criminal case paid by the court. Uh, fair trial is, is due process, and that's in the U.S. Constitution. Um, in the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, what else? What else is criminal justice? Talk about terrorism now. What, what is a criminal justice approach? If there's a... If someone's resisting arrest. That's right. And what's another way of... That's absolutely correct. You can't shoot it. Well, at the end of Bonnie and Clyde or Brooks Cassidy and the Sundance Kids, who shot first? You never saw those movies? You haven't lived. <laughs> no, you're not as old as I am. Um, anyone see those two movies? Okay, what happened at the end of both movies? Basically, they were uh, ambushed by the authorities and killed. And who shot first? The police. Okay. And um, anyone see the more recent film, Bader Meinhof Complex? You can see you all subscribed in. You saw it? Yes, I did. Okay. So do you recall seeing a couple of those scenes where they, the, the Bader Meinhof terrorists were going into department stores and the, and the police came? Yes. And who shot first? Uh, the cops. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't remember. I think in. in Certainly, the Bader Meinhof people were saying they were executed, and they shot first. Yes, but I, I'm not sure if the guy. I, was I, recall, I think the guy shot up in the air. Yes, sir. He shot up in the air just as, 
and then all of a sudden they, they killed him. And in any event, you know, maybe you could make the argument with Bonnie and Clyde that they'd already robbed 15 banks. They tried to stop them 15 times and they got away. The last time they, they set them up with somebody went up to their car and said, will you fix my broken something or other wheel or something? And then they just, was it 842 bullets? Isn't the car in the Smithsonian Museum? You can see the car with all the bullets in them. And in that Bader Meinhof movie, um, I think when the when they first shot at the guys and they were inside the room, they must have shot a thousand rounds into the room. Yeah. They didn't happen to get the guy in the movie, but I don't know what happened in real life. They, the movie started saying this is a true story. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, they probably took some artistic li liberties, uh, but the point is that. The line between criminal justice and army, de facto, I don't know about legally, but de facto is you wouldn't know the difference. But if they had the bottom line up guys surrounded, fully equipped assault troops, I don't know, let's say five dozen of them, right? Way too many. Yeah, m many more than they would ever need. Um, but that's correct. You know, the, the, the point here is that as an example, you know, you, you must shoot second in self-defense. but. You're, you're arresting someone for a crime. Therefore, there has to be probable cause that a crime has been committed. Okay, a war approach, you can shoot first because they're a declared enemy. And there's, it may not be any crime at all. Right? There may be no crime. It, if you declare war legally and it's a just war, the declaration of war is legal, and if you're only shooting at soldiers, that's not a crime either. That's a, a perfectly lawful act. But um, this, this is, in other words, preventive, and this is theoretically is responsive. Now, these lines get blurred in practice. These are what we call in social science ideal types, and it, they're true much more often than not, but they're not exactly perfectly true. Why? Well, first of all, we have the crime of conspiracy, right? In common law countries, English post-colonies like the United States, India, Nigeria, New Zealand, and Australia, we, our judges over the, the thousands of years developed a crime of conspiracy where you're planning a crime that hasn't occurred yet is a crime. So even if the crime never occurs, you've committed a crime. So. Using criminal justice techniques, you can still take preventative action if you discover the conspiracy before the crime. It's hard to do, but it's not impossible if you've got wiretapping or an informant or have some other way of finding out. Second, as the chapter tells us, um, there is a crime called material support for, t for terrorism, which is also a crime. And, you know, like conspiracy, you have to wait for that crime to have been perpetrated before you can make an arrest. But the big crime that you're really worried about is the actual terrorist a attack. And most of the people who've been prosecuted for terrorist acts in the civilian courts, which range between 100 and 300, um, depending which quote you, you follow from the chapter by Jost in this book on prosecuting terrorists, um, you know, lots, hundreds have been prosecuted, and most typically prosecuted for not for terrorism, but for providing material support to terrorists. And that can, you know, that's controversial too, because that's kind of like, all right, you're part of the criminal enterprise, but they can put you away for life for it, and maybe all you are is a passport forger. Now, of course, that 
makes the terrorist act possible. But one wonders whether it, it's abused or not. In any event, it is anticipatory and preventive in the sense that you can stop the big terrorist act that you're really worried about the most um, by get, catching some of these other crimes that have occurred after the fact, but before the big act. Now in war, you know, and for that matter, in intelligence as opposed to criminal justice approaches, you want to um, attack first and ask questions later. And the, the argument, I guess, for war approaches rather than criminal justice approaches is if you wait for a terrorist act, you, tens, hundreds, thousands, in the case of 9-11, of people can get killed. And it's just too much of a disaster to wait that long. So what does the United States and most countries do? Well, the Bush administration said we do war. The Obama administration says we do a hybrid which combines the two techniques. Europe says they only use criminal justice, but you could probably argue de facto they really do war too, if you look at what the Bader-Meinhof story tells you. But Andreas Bader and Ulrike Meinhof uh, from the uh, late 60s, early 70s, uh, were foiled by essentially criminal justice techniques. And the movie's kind of exciting in the way they figure these things out. Um, data processing to um, figure out all the people uh, who pay their utility bills in cash. How do you figure out they are? You get a complete list of everyone who has a utility bill. And then you see the ones that paid by check, which is most people. Maybe those days they had a few credit cards. Although I know my Georgia Power store up the street, they don't take any credit cards. You still have to pay check or cash. No, no, no. No, no. I don't get it. Why? Because they don't, if they don't profit margins too low? They don't want to pay the 1%? Well, then they got to deal with all the people who can't, who could, pay, who could pay their credit card but can't pay it. I would just think, you know, if you lose a certain percentage who can't, who are cat, have a cash problem, but could put it on their credit card, you more than make up for whatever you save on the one percent, or not even one percent, I don't think. So anyway, so they the point is that you know they didn't use torture, they didn't use uh, even really infiltrators. You know, they didn't have infiltrators inside the group, but they figured out who. Who would be robbing banks and have lots of cash, pay all their bills in cash? And I can't quite remember how they divided all the cash payers. Um, do you remember that part? <coughs> I saw it a few years ago. Yeah, no. I mean, I should be able to. I mean, they had, they had some logical way of going through on a computer all the people were paying. Oh, and then they wouldn't have a listed address. So then, of all the people who paid cash, if you had a listed address, then you wouldn't be a terrorist because you're hiding out. And then they probably reduced it to five groups, and then they just did surveillance. And the point is, you know, they got them all. Um, and it's, you know, in one of the worst, most frightening terrorist groups that blew up U.S. and CIA bases, blew up the German embassy to Sweden, blew up the Springer Publishing Group headquarters, and, and other terrorist acts, killing lots of innocent people, bank robberies, really scared the dickens out of people in Europe. The RAF in Germany was. The equivalent was the Red Brigades in, in uh, Italy. They killed up, killed the Pope's best friend, one of his friends, Aldo Moro, I think his name was. 
Um, and you know, it was a time when they thought that Eurocommunism, radical ideologies would, would really take over the world. And now, instead of radical anarchists slash Marxists, uh, totalitarian ideologies, the same can be said of the fear of Muslim terrorist groups. With the, with the problem is, though, there are many more of them. Uh, and maybe they don't have as big banks to steal money from to commit these acts, but they got enough money to go forward. Yeah. Uh, what's the controversy when I was reading chapter six, the way they were writing Islamism, just shutting down these sites that are clearly. Yeah, I'm going to get to that, but but that's okay. Yeah, I mentioned that as one of the issues. I, I just wanted to give this little background yeah. as to approaches. Um, I mean, the controversy about shutting them down is free speech, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a right to, free, well, first there's a legal issue. Uh, in the United States and in most countries that are democracies is that you shut down political speech, you're violating fundamental constitutional and human rights. All right? And interestingly enough, in the same movie, uh, the Bader-Meinhof Complex, they felt like they were political prisoners, just the same way Bobby Sands and the IRA prisoners in, in Ulster in the prisons said we're political prisoners because their motives are political. Um, I remember there was a group in, I don't know if it was New York, but I was living in New York. Um, Mambo or something, wasn't the dance, but you know, man, boy, love organization. Mambla. Mambla? Mambla, I think. Mambla. Right. Well, whatever it was, you know, they, the law says, you know, if you violate this law, you're a criminal because you're harming children. And that's the only issue. But for them, what they were doing was legal and legitimate and their struggle was political. So if you're being arrested for doing what you believe in, you're, you regard yourself as a political prisoner, not a criminal in prison punished for crime. The state calls it a crime, but you don't recognize the legitimacy of that claim. Now, all of these jihadi websites, not all of them advocate violence. Under the US Constitution's strict constructivism, hate speech is legal. In international human rights law, such as the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, it is forbidden to, to defame someone's religion, someone's, a, a group of religious people, um, or an individual for being a member of that religious community. <coughs> Comes out of the Nazi period, in most of Europe, advocating Nazism is a crime. I can go up to Mr. Smith or Brown and say, I hate your guts, I wish you were dead, I wish somebody would kill you, I hope somebody kills you in the next two minutes, <laughs> but I, one thing I can't say is, Mr. A, go kill Mr. B. Uh, or I can't say it with any intention that it actually be done. The test in the Brandenburg case cited in your chapter is immediacy. So the United States has a civil libertarian position. Europe and most countries of the world does not. Most countries of the world say it's illegal to advocate the hatred of one group, especially a religious group, but any ethnic, ethnic or racial group. And it's a crime and you can be put in prison for it. it, it it's illegal in Germany, I think, to have any Nazi uh, paraphernalia, like as a private collection. But certainly to take it public is, is a crime. 
So in the United States in particular, we believe in J.S. Mill's theory of utilitarianism, that deliberation of arguments, and he's a bit of an elitist as a political philosopher, but certainly within a parliamentary context, uh, the theory of democracy that he advocates, uh, that Locke advocates in Second Treatise on Government, is that the best arguments will win out through a rational process of weighing the options, weighing the evidence, and coming up with a conclusion. Now, people would say, oh, that's, that's real nice for J.S. Mill sitting in the 17th century in England, uh, dealing with a bunch of parliamentarians where there was no universal suffrage uh, in, in an empire that perpetrated slavery, et cetera, et cetera. But in the modern contemporary life, with extremism everywhere, the best argument isn't going to win out. Maybe a violent one will. Well, the US situation is you know, where we've had very few call them insurgencies. We've had, of course, a rebellion with the Civil War, which was a secession, but very few times in our history have people gotten up and tried to lead a revolution. Uh, the Soviet Union did penetrate a lot of government agencies, and they had spies, but they didn't have subversives, at least as far as I know, who were actively plotting bombings, overthrows, provocations to prom promote overreactions by the government, and so forth. So under the Brandenburg case, you know, I can say, long live the revolution, long live the people's struggle. In the end, we'll win. Let's go forth with the revolution. But I can't say, take that gun and blow up that cop. <coughs> okay. Um, or I probably could say it if no one took me seriously. If I held a gun and I said, here. Take this and shoot that person. That would be a violation. That the First Amendment does not protect that kind of free speech. So, in our country, to answer your question, long answer, but summarizing parts of the chapter is, we don't want to be tearing down websites because when you have the government get involved in censorship or attacks, a lot of legitimate sites, legitimate in the sense of breaking no crime could get disabled. You know, it, we don't want the government to do that kind of thing because where will it stop? And, you know, just because you don't like that website, suppose somebody else doesn't like your website. And what goes around comes around. I mean, you don't have to agree with me. Do okay. Was there another question? Yes. I have a question yeah. about the um, Marin the, the, the chapter doesn't tell us the whole case. Oh, no, no, no. I was just asking, uh, is it basically you can't seriously threaten somebody? The, the criterion in the chapter said immediacy. In other words, there's a connection between your statement and violence being perpetrated. And probably in a court case, you, you, violence would probably have to have followed for there to have been a justification. Or, sorry strong evidence of violence would have followed if you had not been stopped. <laughs> so a, a, a different kind of case which doesn't involve intentional violence for political purposes would be yelling fire in a crowded theater, right? And everyone stampedes, right? That's not constitutionally protected speech either because people get hurt. Um, even if there was a fire, you probably shouldn't yell fire because everyone would still trample each other probably should say, okay, we've got a fire, we need to keep order and 
not suffocate or strangle and kill ourselves trying to get out of here. I'm not sure how you do that, particularly if it's dark and there's no electricity, but um, that's how people get killed in concerts and like, panics. Sometimes it's not the fire in the nightclub that kills people, it's everyone trying to get out and crushing each other to death in the dark, not knowing where they're going. Okay, so in, in looking at this comparison in criminal justice and war, you know, an obvious debate is um, do we need to attack websites through a criminal justice approach or do we follow a war approach? How do we categorize this? Or is it a combination of the two? If I have a law that's been promulgated by the executive with authority coming from the Congress to write regulations on the grounds which I'm allowed to do a cyber attack against a website that shows, let's say, beheadings and gives instructions on how to commit <coughs> these kinds of acts against Western targets. The test of whether it's war or whether it's criminal justice would probably come from the fact that um, the authority came from the president, but it, it didn't, you didn't have to wait for specific acts to happen and then respond. You're just going ahead and doing it. All right, so what, what I wanted to propose to do is to take a look at some of these websites. But, yeah, sorry. I'm going to have to install Chrome. Does anyone know how to do this real fast while I teach? Can you come and install Google Chrome on this computer? Hopefully that will. Nope, that's not it. I guess you go to uh, Google and then Chrome. Thank you. You see on page 89 of your book, you'll see a list of top 10 jihadi web forums. And since now Google has this translate, I thought it'd be interesting to try to get into one of these. I, sometimes you need a password and an ID to participate. But you know, if you're going to use a war approach, you're going to try to figure out who's serious and who's just going blah, 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 blah. Um, sometimes the dog is bigger than the bite. So when that comes up, thanks to our, what's your name? Erica. When Erica gets that up for us. Uh, we'll try and see if we can get into some of these websites. But for example, you know, Daniel Pearl was beheaded. KSM, Kalisha Muhammad, took it credit for it. Uh, he was originally based in Atlanta before he went overseas, both with the Wall Street Journal. And a lot of the jihadi websites show his beheading. Should we be disabling this? What's that? Okay, well, what if these websites are in other countries? Okay, but they don't. <coughs> Maybe. What about free speech? I think that's crossed our line in terms of being you know, criminal What is the crime? The crime, but it, it's not a crime to make a film of it. Not a crime to show it, is it? In other words, if you have a war framework, it's okay to do that because you don't need a crime. In fact, as I said, war can be completely legal. 
But you want to make this a war on terrorism so that basically we can go kill innocent people with drone missiles in order to stop this kind of stuff? In other words, once war gets started, a lot of people get killed who, don't, who aren't guilty just because that's the nature of war these days. And one of the costs of war is that you, you can win the battle and lose the war. In other words, tactically, you eliminate a given terrorist. But strategically, you will lose the hearts and minds of the enemy. In fact, you anger them so much that they you get more terrorists on their side. So Thank our, you. So our First Amendment protects other countries' websites? No, our First Amendment would protect them inside the United States if it didn't violate the case law, which would include the Brandenburg case. So when the website that you described, would that be, if it was from the highest in the United States, would it be shut down? Would it be considered fraud? You know, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't want to give you an answer when I don't really know the answer. I can guess, but I don't. Would they shut it down? Well, the chapter says they don't, they've, they've shut down three, three websites. Right. Only three. And only those, temporarily. Those weren't shut down through legal means. They were shut down through technical means. Cyber attack. Right. <coughs> well, that's that, if it's legal, it could be well, legally authorized. Well, I mean, in the sense that it wasn't done through the courts. Or I mean, it just seems like common sense to me is that this isn't the means that they're using to communicate amongst themselves. You know, videotaping, the editing, or whatever, whatever other act. It seems common sense to cut that line of communication off and sever that. So this is going to get us on the FBI and DHS. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Watch out. They're going to figure out where this is coming from. So this is a call center. See, now the FBI has done a cyber attack on this site because I tried to get on a jihadi website and I got diverted to this one. Extremists, a forum. Forum gets me free meal planner. So here's an example of a cyber attack. <laughs> Let's try this again. Okay, translate it, and it says to English, contact Baluki in Iraq, Taliban news, program Al-Qaeda abandoned. That sounds like there's been a cyber attack, and they, they changed on this ISP. I'm sure Al-Qaeda wouldn't be saying we've abandoned our program. <laughs> Here's videos. I don't think this is going to be a beheading. What is it going to be? I have to get this translated. And we have talk about Mel Gibson, Pope John. I don't think an Islamic Al-Qaeda guy is going to know about Pope John or John Paul. So you can see you're being protected from the world by your FBI. Let's, let's try another one on this list. That was number one. We'll try number nine. I'm sure the DHS is going to come in here tomorrow. <laughs> Say translate. Oh, yeah. Here you go. 
taking a long time. It's, this must be a lot of Arabic written on this. <laughs> Last visit one week ago, somebody from this this page. I got to see you need a login and a password to get in. I haven't gotten this far. But that's typical of these forums where they trade information and you need a password. Taliban is not part of Al-Qaeda. They don't get along very well, just as the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt and Al-Qaeda have been at each other's. So I went to this other terrible website from this point of view, and you just get straight kind of news. Washington calls the Egyptian government to release all detained activists and journalists, which is what Washington wants to do. So you can see the State Department has gone to all these sites and basically attacked them. So now that you've seen just randomly taking three of the 10 websites on page 89 and seen that the most dangerous websites when this article was published have very benign content, are you happy about that? It's a violation of their civil liberties, isn't it? Should we be happy or sad? It's a free country, you can say what you want, I won't arrest you. You're happy? You feel safer now that you've seen this? <laughs> not, well, I mean, not like tremendously, but I mean, they're shutting down some of the most dangerous websites that recruit more terrorists. I mean, well, the chapter says that these websites don't really recruit anybody, or at least they want, you know, the debate is between those who say they're good at recruitment and those who say it's mostly about getting attention, but not about serious terrorist recruiting. You think it does? Someone to look at his website and say, that looks like a cool thing to do. I'm going to become a terrorist when I grow up. <laughs> some, some might. Some might? Yeah, a lot of the people that they catch are really young. Right, but do you think they, just because they want a website or because mom and dad set them up to it? Yeah, it's, it's the 21st century. And? Well, anything could happen in the 20th and the 19th, too. General, general well-being of the public and, you know, what about rights, like right to free speech? Um, well, you know, I think there's always a fine line. You just have to decide where that line's at. And this line is okay to go attacking websites? Well, um, it's a personal opinion. I mean, I don't yeah. personally have a problem I with don't it. have any problem with your personal yeah. opinion. Yeah. I'm just trying to play dumb. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, like, you know, my, my personal opinion is I have a problem with it. I can see why some people would have a problem with it, because it is that violation. But, I mean... What other websites do you think they go after? show on mainstream TV. But you know that they show movie. a lot of terrible things. You know I mean, it's movie. I get shocked by looking yeah. at it. But you know that's a movie, though. And you know someone got paid to do that stunt, and they go home and go to sleep. It's, still, don't you think when 
watching all those violent acts makes people more likely to do those things? I feel like it's worse if it's like a movie than it is if it's in real life. Only because like... Glamorizing it, right? Exactly. Then people are acting it out and they're like, well, I want to be famous like them. I want to be awesome like them. So I feel like it's worse if it's a movie. I was gonna say like I do agree it's worse with the movie because when you think of it like I mean you know it's real life you feel some kind of way about it but if you watch it on the TV and you watch it all the time you get desensitized to the violence and you see it and it's like it has no effect on you and then like I think the government like they always have this it's like this spectrum between security and freedom and like they they try to you know go back and forth between it and it's like but when does it become too much like when does taking away certain freedoms become too much than protecting my security. Like, I don't, I might not agree with what's on there, but I believe, like, my personal belief is that a crime or something wrong is you violating someone else's right. You injuring someone else. So you, what you- But this is war. This is going after them before they've done a terrorist act. I'm saying, like, it's, it's a, it's like a, it's a really blurry, like, blurry place to be, but it's like, I don't think it's, I'm not too happy about it because you can't say you support freedom of speech and if you don't support all freedom of speech. I, I mean, I agree with you and I, I respect your opinion. But my feeling is that, yeah, I can agree that this particular case is fine. But when they set up a, an organization to go after these websites, what websites are they going after? There's no accountability. That's a problem. Is And I know that secrecy and power corrupts. And this is obviously a secret operation. Who's going to review it? Some committee might review it in secret, which means, in fact, one congressman may or may not assign a staff member to look into it. So then basically, there's nothing stopping them from going after legitimate organizations. Um, and also, there are, you know, you want to cultivate Islamic charities, right? So there are an awful lot of Islamic charities that are called fronts by the government. The charity is a front for some terrorist group. When actually, I, what I would say is it's a faction. You know, this is Hamas's schools, and this part is Hamas's welfare organization providing hospital care, and then this is Hamas's politicians that run an office, and over here is Hamas's terrorists. And I'm, I know enough about organizations, no, they don't all agree. But you know, Hamas is the only game in town but Hamas is a multi-headed hydra. You know, it, it, and you should be, you close down Hamas, you close down not just the website that provides terrorist propaganda, you close down the part of the website that deals with humanitarian relief problems. Now for the FBI and the Homeland Security and the CIA, that's just designed to put a good, happy face on what they're really doing, which is murdering people. And I, I you know, I'm not, I, I'm not an expert, I don't know that it, I'm right and they're wrong, but I just can see how plausible it might be that you know, the Taliban is not Al-Qaeda. The Taliban commits terrorist acts, but you know what? The US government commits terror too. Every time we shoot off a drone missile at a wedding to get one terrorist and we kill 50 people, you gotta ask yourself, is that not a crime? And how are we being perceived in any event, regardless of even if it's legal, how are we being perceived in that world, which strategically, in the long run, we want to win to our side, well, sure, we kill one bad guy. But if you kill 49 innocent, how many more people are you going to alienate? And the same thing is, you know, 
you, when you close down Hamas's website, you're also closing down all the people who are working in the healthcare sector that have good motives. Now, I'm not saying I'm right about this. I'm just saying that it's a question I'm raising to con consider. Yeah, somebody. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you keep bringing up the, like, shutting down these sites is kind of an infringement of rights, or the question of it. That's the question. But if it's on the internet, everyone who goes on the internet knows, like, whatever you put up there, anyone can see. So it's not like it's a private thing. It, the internet itself is a public forum. And I guess that's, like, even the point of it is to get more people to see it. So, yeah, if you're putting suspicious things up there that's a threat to somebody else, that other person's probably going to shut you down pretty quick. But, I mean, that's how the internet is. If I went on my Facebook and I was like, oh, BT Dubs, guys, I'm going to shoot up the bank, someone's going to report that. And I mean, I think. I don't know. I understand there's a lot of college campus websites where you can post libelous and slanderous things about other people anonymously. And if it really is anonymous, then you can harm someone's feelings or reputation. Possibly committing an illegal act. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, there's also there's all kinds of proxies and cookies and IP addresses and stuff to trace. I think it's really truly anonymous on the internet. You can go to someone's IP address. Right, but who's going to go through the trouble? Say say someone says you know your four letter word. Are you going to go through the trouble of finding out who that person was and suing them? Terroristic. I mean, yeah, but like terroristic. Trace where that came from. Sometimes I don't know for sure whether it's all the time, but I don't have custody. I mean, like, I've had slanderous things on the internet put about me, and there's a button that says report this, and that's all you do, and it's gone, basically. It's so gone, I mean, but, you, but it, it's also on Google forever. Once it's on the internet, it's there forever. Because Google is just a snapshot service. It just takes pictures of the internet and stores them. I mean, it's, if it's tagged, or do you, like, have, you have to tag things on Google and stuff, though, too. As I understand it, Google is not searching what's available now on servers. Google is a search that anything that's ever been on a server, they purport to copy it. Well, I mean, yeah, they do, but you can also click on it and be like, well, this is a, this is error. You can't find this dead link. So, I mean, yeah, that's a valid point. But I think if you really want to get something off the internet, like it's possible to get it all. Well, I, what I was saying is you can't, it's hard to sue somebody. I mean, maybe you can get it off the internet, but you can still sue them. And it gets you nowhere, right? Yeah. Because you got to get a court order to, to find out who that anonymous person is. And you got to spend a lot of money hiring lawyers to subpoena the ISP to provide the I, the, whatever the number is. IP address. IP address, thank you. Yeah. I was going to ask if the shoe were on the other foot. Would our government um, sort of go to bat for its citizens in the sense that, let's say, a foreign power were coming in and blocking sites of U.S. citizens? Well, that's another argument: is that what goes around comes around. You know, we start cyber wars with them. What's to stop them from retaliating? You know, you can win the battle and lose the war. You win the tactics and lose the strategy. The Israelis, as I think we mentioned a week ago, presumably put a software bug into the foreign manufacturers of the uranium enrichment spinners uh, for the uranium and plutonium isotope machines trying to make nuclear fuel. And they disabled all these machines and slowed the 
Iranian bomb down. But that doesn't mean the Iranians are not going to want to get revenge, and they may get that bomb sooner or later. Whether they'll use a bomb or not, or get revenge some other way. I mean, for example, the Iranians provide arms to Hezbollah and Hamas. Even though Israel won, quote unquote, both of those wars in 2006 and 2008, 2009, in southern Lebanon and Gaza, respectively, Israel spent a whole lot of money, lost blood and treasure, and had its reputation damaged by the way it had to fight those dirty wars against Hezbollah in Lebanon and Hamas in the Gaza Strip. So it's kind of like they can get revenge in ways that may not meet the eye as obvious, but it may not be worth the trouble. Are we encouraging these terrorists by putting their websites down? They're only going to make them angry? I mean, sure, we shut down their website, but does that mean, uh, make them more angry at us? Can it be more angry? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, you think that are the there are that many people in the world that are willing to commit I think suicide? Mad enough to try to kill us? I don't think that you can get more like I'm just going to kill. But what I meant is worse. mad enough to commit suicide. I don't think there are that many people in the world willing to do that. We're also able to come into the United States secretly and do prepare for some attack. You know, you can persuade a 12-year-old to cross the border into Palestine because it's a fairly simple operation. It's a lot harder to get someone who's educated enough to go undercover, to stake out a place, and perform the operation and pull it off. It's it's hard. I just think the scale of the type of things that they're attempting to do, 9-11, et cetera, Yeah, well, what's the chicken and wig? After a while, <laughs> it just goes back and forth. Yeah, okay, it's our retaliation. It's also our prevention. Um, it's the subject of this chapter, and I'm not so sure this chapter is worthy of being in the book in the sense of is this one of the top 20, right. 15 problems in the world? I think it has more to do with the sensational nature of the subject, what the stuff they show in these sites, and what have you. By the way, the chapter said that all you got to do is go on YouTube. I've never done this before. And if this gets to be grotesque, I'll stop it. But I'm going to put the same website information. Survey. No, I don't want. How do I get out of this? Just go back to the address bar, retype that you misspelled it. So if I put in another one of these. This terrorist website put up um, the rivers of Babylon. I, I think that's a famous song, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Don McLean did a version of that. What's that? Don McLean did a version of that. Oh, really? I guess I don't have the. <laughs> So the question is, has this website been a cyber attack too? 
with the number three ranked most dangerous website in the chapter. Is this how the song goes on the river Babylon? Obviously it's not a reality. <laughs> looks like a, it looks like the Islamic website, it's all Jews. So the Israelis took care of it by putting on Jewish stuff. <laughs> okay, can I write the comments down there? On Google? I don't see a translate. But you can see this is these are Jewish stuff on a well, it's the third most dangerous jihadi website. So you can see the Mossad has gotten into the act by attacking Islamic websites as well. In fact, the websites we were looking at may have been attacked by Mossad, not by American uh, groups. Yes? I was going to say, like, my biggest challenge with this is, like, who is going to violence, are we? I mean, just like whatever China doesn't think they want their citizens to see. Well, we're more subtle. We say we're in Iraq you know, to bring peace and liberation. We're in Afghanistan to protect you against the Taliban. It's the same concept. Is it the same? Obviously, political differences would emerge in whether you're for or against those wars, but... I, I, I can see your point is that if you're against those wars, you can say, what's the difference? Advocating violence through terrorism or advocating violence through war? We kill more people through war than they kill through terrorism. 150,000 Iraqis are dead since we went in there. From the Iraqi point of view on the ground, is that worse, the same as, or not as bad as terrorism? Worse. Think so? From the Iraqi standpoint? It's plausible. Could be. I mean, I don't really know. I mean, it's something to think about how they perceive what we think. From our mass media points of view, the Taliban was Al-Qaeda. But apparently the Taliban is just another national liberation group, primarily for ethnic Pashtuns in the south of Afghanistan, who do have an extreme version of Islam, but so does most of the people in Afghanistan. They may not be as extreme as the Taliban, but that, you know, women are not exactly liberated. I think they want, like, I think that they feel like the Westerners want them to come up with some, like, modernized want version of their religion. It's not, I guess, their religion. Now they feel like that's, you know, they want us to come up with some, or they, they think we're trying to come up with some modern version of where we can all supposedly get along and their religion meshes with our religion. It's just uh, harmony, I guess, but they're saying that that's not our religion. 
Right. Well, okay, it's per perfectly plausible. Um, let me turn to another important debate in the chapter, which is uh, how are we going to fight terrorists? I mean, is this, is this worth our energy and our resources, focusing on websites? I mean, how, what's the best way to stop terrorism? Putting, these are very expensive operations, and, and it's multidimensional. We've got moderate websites financed by the US, UK, and Saudi governments, which nobody reads. But you know, these websites are supposed to get you. We've got, we got propaganda radio stations from the Western point of view. We could hire infiltrators to find us who these people are. Except we don't have very good intelligence in the Arabic world. In fact, at 9-11, less than apparently two dozen Arabic speakers in all the US intelligence agencies. Pretty hard to run agents when you don't have to speak the language. Um, monitoring phone calls, monitoring internet activity without attacking the sites. Going into those sites as, um, with a password and just seeing what they're saying. That's not war. You just gain access, and then you follow the links, you follow the conversations, and you put a big, bigger picture together. Uh, hiring this University of Arizona a, a in research institute to download all the information on the websites and then analyze it by computer algorithms. These are a lot different than going attacking countries militarily and getting country either to say, oh, we love you because you're killing the terrorists, or saying we hate you because you're killing us. We always assume, or we often assume, that by attacking, they're going to feel like we liberate them, when in fact they feel like we occupy them. At least that seems to be a pattern that some people say occur. So who, who thinks that this is all well worthwhile, that this, this chapter is an important topic and we should be, you know, given the suicidal terrorism we're going to face when these sooner or later these terrorists are going to get nuclear weapons and blow us up. We've got to do everything and anything to stop a small chance event because if it does happen, it's the end. I mean, I think it's certainly probably its, it's most effective use is probably intelligence gathering. And as such, it's probably an effective way of it. seems like they've actually um, implemented sting operations and caught people who are uh, attempting terrorist acts. So that, in that sense, it's probably paid worthwhile. Um, but, but in terms of sort of taking the temperature of world terrorism, monitoring these sites is probably more effective than closing them down. Yeah. I mean, you also said before that like the 9-11 things were planned through the internet or something. And it well, was they certainly used, the chapter said they used the internet to communicate. And it was figured out but not till after, but it had maybe had that been monitored, it could have been figured out and prevented. The, yeah, the, the guest speaker said on December, September 12th, they cracked the code, and I forgot what he said, but something like, you know, the mother is so-and-so, and, -so and right. the brother was something or other. Right. Right. Was it right. when? Right. The members of the wedding. Good memories, wow. Um, on the other hand, you can have so much information that you drown in the information concept of noise. You know, the more you analyze, the more you gotta sift through, and then the more things you find that you think are possibly interesting, that's the more stuff you gotta study, which means there's more delays and more filters and more analysis, and the more people you gotta hire, and more branches of the government that don't talk to each other, or have to talk to each other, but find it difficult, and the information may not find its way up. 
In other words, if you prioritize your activity and do less, less can be more. You, know, you really figure out what's really important, put your resources there, do a good job, and those findings and warnings get through. But if you study everything, you study almost nothing. It's kind of like the concept of taking classes, right? You take two or three classes, you do a good job, you learn a great deal. You take seven or eight classes, you graduate, you get your degree, you got your union card, the diploma, but what have you learned? Um, in other words, haste makes waste. Now maybe with supercomputers we feel like we can monitor everything. But someone's got to write a program in the computers to say this is what's important. And then somebody's got to notice that it's really important. On the bright side, computers are one of the things we do really well in the United States. I mean, well, in general, yes. And I, the book said that there were only like two or three hundred sites. The thousands of sites were mostly duplicating those limited number of sites that were. Well, if there are only 200 sites, then it's not that much. Right. But if there are linkages to 2,000 more, right. and we're following the linkages, then we really are looking at everything. We're not just looking at the 200. And also, if you were a plotter, you wouldn't discuss your plot in the most obvious places. You would go in the chat room, inside the chat room, inside the chat room, or however you do it, in the subterranean ways of communicating. What about instructions to blow up a bomb? Should they ban that? It doesn't have to be Al-Qaeda. It could be making a bomb. Should it be a crime to put up the information on how to make a nuclear weapon? I bet you I could find it now by Googling it. If you searched it, though, what would happen? Nothing? I've never tried it before. I remember when I was 1980, I was working on a campaign. I remember a Princeton, Princeton undergrads have to do, a, everyone has to do a thesis, senior thesis, 100 or more pages. And he did a senior thesis on how to build a nuclear weapon using only public information. Now apparently you can get it right on the internet, but this was considered very shocking because it showed anybody could get the, the information. I have a question about, um, I was just reading in the news a couple months ago how like security with like cell phones and libraries because the message is encoded and there's no way governments can extract it because it's emailed through a different server. It's all out here. Well, BlackBerry supposedly had a secure server, which is why lots of people used it, even though it wasn't as good as an iPhone. And then the government of Qatar, the one that got the World Cup, the one that the WikiLeaks cable said is one of our worst, least, least reliable partners in anti-terrorism, um, told BlackBerry they couldn't do business in that country unless they let them spy on terrorists. And BlackBerry said, okay, you can't have the information. And they decided, well, I think we better keep BlackBerry here because otherwise these businessmen will leave and so women will leave the country. So I guess if what we read is true, and I have my doubts as to whether it's really true, then if you've got a BlackBerry, the government can't spy on you in Qatar, except that I don't believe it. Is that just in Qatar or over here as well? Yeah, because you theoretically like have a conversation. Like I got nothing to hide on my cell phone, so you can listen and be bored to tears. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I used to kid around with a friend of mine in Boston and say, let's blow up the Pentagon. You, you take out the West Wing. We, we would have these conversations going on for days, and nobody ever bothered us. But now Gmail, if you use Gmail, you know, you get your ads coded by whatever you type on your email messages. Yeah, what?
If you have any of you have a Gmail account for Google? Yes. A friend of mine said she was typing Egypt about the riots and all of a sudden all the ads were about trips to the pyramids on her email. It does the same on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Like all the things that you're interested in magically, these right, like ads over here. Over here right. Or if like you're single, it's like meet hot Christian yeah. singles. <laughs> well, I'm married and they, I get all these hot single sites too on Facebook. I wonder what they're thinking of my messages. It's not even stuff like TV. That's what they think about like men in general. Yeah. Which is really creepy. What's that? Um, like on Facebook, it's not even like, even if you go to like a page and like like the page, it's not even that stuff. It's like the stuff that you write to. So if I wrote like on your wall, I really like Tom's shoes, I'll get like 15 ads for Tom's. It's ridiculous. Wow. A little creepy. Well, there's nothing, nothing private about it, that's for sure. And they say be careful about revealing your skeletons in your closet because your future employers will somehow find a way of finding out about them. I don't quite know how since it's supposed to be private, but I guess it ends up being public. Well, if your privacy settings aren't on, they can go and look at all your pictures. If what? Like if your privacy settings aren't on, you can not even have an account and just look in and all when they your pictures and all those. And when they do updates on Facebook, it takes all your privacy settings off. They take all your privacy settings off? When they do updates for Facebook, it updates your privacy settings too. So whatever you had on there. So every three months, you got to go you back. you got to go back and reset mm -hmm. them anyway. And they don't tell you that? No, they don't tell you that. <laughs> it's nefarious. I know there was a recent update and they changed pictures, they get four pictures now or something. Mm -hmm. Mine don't make any sense. But. <laughs> okay, so um, what about the more broad privacy issue of should the government be allowed to monitor uh, email communications and phone calls? Under the U.S. FISA law, you need a search warrant, but under the Bush administration, they say we don't need a search warrant. Uh, we're just going to monitor all phone calls. If it's pertinent, they should listen to it. Going overseas. What's that? So if it's pertinent, they should listen to it. They should. You don't have any privacy? Uh, I would sacrifice my privacy for my safety. For your safety. Fourth Amendment said that if you have probable cause, things like that can be looked at. Not any problem. What if they just don't like your politics? Well, I need to get a new phone. But I mean, if, 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 if the conversation is, I don't think they should invade every. I mean, the FBI thing. thought Martin Luther King was a communist, and they did all kinds of horrible things to him and his colleagues. True, true. And that's what I say. You, know, you may think that they're only going after Al Qaeda, mm -hmm. but you know, suppose somebody wants to just get their kicks. But that's what I said. But when legally you have to have a probable cause. No, you don't need a probable cause. Under their regulations with terrorism, they suspend the Constitution. That's the whole point of emergency laws. Now, they say it's for phone calls where one of the parties is overseas. But once you've been linked to an overseas call, then they follow all your domestic calls under the USA Patriot Act. But, you know, on the flip side, if you devil's advocate, if they weren't listening to these calls, then they wouldn't get that call to France. They went to France to... You know, somewhere in North Africa, they linked somewhere to somewhere they actually. And what makes you think they're successful? I, I'm not. I don't think. I'm, I'm not speculating. I'm just saying, if, if, if it were, if the system were to work properly, then 
maybe they could come upon these information that would help people in the safety. Uh, we still have five minutes, right? Yeah. So um, the question about civil liberties and national security is raised by this internet issues as well as free speech, but it, it doesn't stop there. All your email, all your telephone calls, all your private mail, the same logic of war could justify suspension of your rights under the Constitution. And if you want to be a free society, you want to be free to communicate without feeling that the government is following you, and maybe you got nothing to hide, right? But maybe there are people that have nothing to hide criminally that are being surveilled because they don't like their politics. And maybe not today, but maybe tomorrow, for example. And we have enough historical precedents of people who were suppressed by governments to think that, you know, it could be you or someone like you who they just they want to just make them less powerful. Um, trumped up charges are, is one of the first ways democracies are destroyed. You, you don't like certain kinds of political opponents and you find ways of destroying them. Or let's say, would it be appropriate for a government official to find out that you go to a prostitute and they find out illegal? <laughs> and maybe your wife or husband would be grateful for outing you, but suppose their motive is they don't like your political, your politics. Now the government has, well, Elliot Spitzer committed a crime though. Because um, he, he used aliases to try to keep his identity secret. Let's just say you, you don't break any laws, and let's say you, the prostitute is from Las Vegas and is legal. Is that, are they legal in Las okay. Vegas? Yeah. This could be in Nevada, but not in a city. Oh, okay. Oh, everywhere but <laughs> Sin City? Clarifying. All right, but in other words, he committed a crime. With, but, 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 so that presumably was legal. Um, obviously, they went after him because he was the governor of New York. And they, oh, and they tried to pretend, oh, he's client number seven, as if they didn't know who client number seven was. <laughs> but, you know, I could see Wall Street investment firms hating his guts for all the times they busted him. They've got unlimited resources. You think these companies are above providing someone with a million dollars to frame a governor? I mean, a million dollars for Goldman Sachs alone made twenty billion. Right. A million dollars is like lunch money, you know. It's so okay. He did. Some, he he committed a crime, so therefore he deserved it, I suppose. Right. Right. But suppose there are a lot of issues. You know, charges get dropped because they're ambiguous. You know, they think you did it. You you may even probably did it, but there's no proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And in fact, you might be innocent. And we all know that innocent people are convicted all the time. There's pressure to find somebody who committed that murder. False confessions are very common in lineups because everyone thinks that one of the people in the lineup must be the person. When in fact, they don't even know if the, they don't know who's done it. They round up some people based on what they said they thought the person looked like, and they've they always point to somebody because they think they got to, they don't tell you, you don't have to point to anybody. You just say, you know, only point to the person if you're sure. But instead they say, who is, the, who is it? Well, guess what? The person may not be in the lineup. So these are the kinds of mistakes that ruin people's lives. And, you know, I, 
I think the analogy is in a free society, you do take the position that you'd rather protect the innocent than catch all the guilty. Now, with terrorism, it may not hold. Maybe the violence and terror caused by the murder, still have a couple of minutes, um, of you know, killing, the, the murders that a terrorist would commit are far numerous, more numerous than an individual murderer kills one or two people. We're talking about tens, hundreds, thousands. So maybe it's justified you know, to suspend civil liberties, and maybe it's justified to say, no, we'd rather get the guilty, and even if we have to lose some of the innocent. But then it becomes a very slippery slope. Then you round up all the Muslims in the country. Because we know, we know the terrorist is a Muslim, and if we round up all the Muslims in the country, there won't be any terrorists. Maybe that's too extreme. But what is, what is too extreme and what is not too extreme? Anyway, I'm not telling you what the right answer is or what the wrong answer is. I'm saying these are the kinds of civil liberties issues that are raised by these kinds of tough choices uh, posed by chapter four of our readers. So I'll see you on Thursday. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. The, that's what I'm reading. Is there, other than Wikipedia, which I've been using, is there a better source for a kind of just primer on the history of the EU, the various treaties? Well, you go online and look, read Wikipedia, for yeah, example. Yeah, okay. I mean, that seems to be doing the job. There's some very good textbooks. Okay, because I'm just trying to, I feel like I need a little more background to be able to fully process a lot of what I'm Yeah, reading, in the course so. of the semester, we're all, we're gonna, you're going to pick up a lot of it. Okay, good deal. All right, good. thanks. Um, I just heard, at the beginning of the class, I heard you talking about how you feel close. Um, I, I, I emailed you. I actually emailed you about the study guide, and you said that uh, you feel like the study guide is not No, no, I'm saying it doesn't help you build your skills. Yeah, um, yeah you know, well, any other suggestions besides... Take really good notes. Yeah. And decide what's... Really important during the lecture. Okay. And also, you can certainly come see me in office hours. You can post on eLearn. Ask her any question you want. Right. Um, you know, thank yeah. you on the board today. All this stuff right there. I really, I do think it's at your best interest to learn how to take notes. Uh, I mean, I know how to take notes, but I'm just better. I mean, I can. Yeah. I don't want to just memorize. I don't want to just memorize. It's not because I think it's stupid. It's because I think it's stupid.